right, so um, we could get into uh, Shoot Your Shot Season 3, Episode 7. We've been recording a lot more frequently this month because there's a lot going on in the landscape of today's NBA. We got players uh, going off for 70-plus points and then other players telling them to hold their beers to one-up them the next day. And we got players putting up 60-plus in losses, players putting up 70-plus in Ws. Uh, we got the Celtics be having the most efficient game ever. We got the OG and the Pascal trades going well for both teams so far. And we have the All-Star Reserves uh, predictions to start off this episode. So um, allow me to start off by stating my personal uh, preferences based off of team merit and individual performance for the All-Star Reserves. So as everyone knows, uh, the NBA decided to go back to the East versus West format this year, which was uh, actually taken with a lot of praise. There's a lot of fans, the media. I think everyone's just kind of happy that they're finally back to the form that they grew up loving. So um, I personally enjoyed watching the drafts, like when Giannis drafted Dame number one, when LeBron drafted uh, whoever he did, it was just like a lot more fun for me. I thought I thought like it was a little bit more engaging. It was kind of like a spinoff of the draft, but with like the best players in the world. But apparently nobody else liked it. <laughs> so we went back to the original uh, East versus West format. So obviously my first person in the East is going to be Jalen Brunson. Uh, he was essentially tied with Damian Lillard in, in terms of the fan vote and the media vote but uh, and the player vote. But the fans actually voted for Lillard a little bit more, which was the tiebreaker. However, when you took the weighted scales into account, they were actually tied neck and neck. So obviously, he's the first reserve. It's about time he's an all-star. I think he should have re replaced Randall last year. He's leading the Knicks and scoring on insane efficiency. And he's also starting to take a lot more threes for the first time uh, this season, which is not really his game. Uh, he's more of a like slashing guard where he's going to find his like uh, areas of breathing room and space uh, within that 10 to 15 foot range under the rim. However, uh, he actually took it down a lot of notches, and now he's pulling up from threes. I think he's averaging about six uh, three-point attempts per game, and he's actually shooting really well. He's uh, shooting 43% from threes. So at 6'2", it's a, a really good skill set. He's by far leading the Knicks in PER and uh, a lot more efficient than Julius Randle, which is a lot taller than him. So uh, a 6'2 guard shooting better from the field than a 6'10 power forward. Yeah, give me Brunson all day, every day. And then we also have Donovan Mitchell, who is uh, basically leading the Cavs uh, to the fifth spot in the East right now. The New York Knicks just took them um, up. And uh, yeah, there's not much to say here. We kind of covered why Spider deserves it last episode. I think he's been the only stable kind of connection between all the other Cavs players. He's kind of been uh, taking on that glue-centric role while being their go-to scorer. So I thought that was kind of deserving of him taking the nod for this year for the Cleveland Cavaliers. 
And then uh, after that, at guard, I have a initial preliminary year for uh, Tyrese Maxey. So it's his first all-star year. He's broken out after James Harden kind of uh, handed him that, um, you know, um, like banner, so to speak. He kind of took it to the next level. He unleashed his true potential alongside Joel Embiid. And it's made the Sixers more relevant. It's made them a lot more fun to watch under Nick Nurse's system. And uh, Tyrese Maxey has been putting up insane numbers as well. He's kind of like an Emmanuel quickly, uh, if some sort, that like quick guard, so to speak. He's been averaging about 26 points a game with six assists and 3.6 rebounds on 37% from three and 45% from the field. So uh, he cemented himself as the Philadelphia 76ers second best player after Joel Embiid, who is leading the league in scoring, of course. And then uh, we obviously have uh, a guard as well. Or actually, Jalen Brown's a forward. He, he goes by forward mm-hmm. for most of his uh, All-NBA selections and All-Star selections. So that doesn't need a lot of explanation. You have the Boston Celtics, who are, as of this recording, 37-11, and 11, which is a really nice record. They're leading the NBA by a landslide. He's the obvious second-best player on the team. While most people might have a case for Perzingis, I'd say that availability is the best ability and Porzingis is simply not around enough. He would meet the threshold to become an all-star. However, you can't really uh, say anything about Jalen Brown's 44 starts, whereas uh, Porzingis only only has 33. And uh, yeah, he's their bona fide secondary go-to scorer. I think we talked about how when Jason Tatum's out, uh, Brown's comfortably averaging 30 plus points a game as their go-to guy so being that much of a good player for the top team in the entire sport you obviously deserve the all-star nod he's shooting 50% from the field 36% from three and uh, 3.7 assists five rebounds on 23 points per game so not much to discuss here he obviously deserves it and uh, I actually this is a point of contention but I also have Porzingis as an all-star. Um, a lot of people had pe- uh, uh, players like Trey, uh, Trey Young, um, but I think that Trey Young is the 11th spot in the East. They're 19 and 27, and he's been very inefficient this season. He's only shooting 42% from the field, 36% from three, albeit he's averaging 27 points, but... I just don't think with your team being 19 and 27, you deserve the all-star nod. So I chose Porzingis over Trey Young uh, as one of the wild card spots where you can have either a forward or a guard. Because uh, like I in it, like I alluded to earlier, I think Porzingis has an argument to be the second best player on the team if he was available a little bit more. He actually has a higher player efficiency rating than Jalen Brown because he's a lot more efficient. So he averages 20 points a game, but he shoots 53% from the field. And as a big man, he shoots higher than Jalen Brown from three which is 36%. He shoots just exactly the same percentage as Jason Tatum, but he takes a lot less shots. So I think Jason Tatum's percentage alludes to a little bit better shooting on higher volume. However, when you're 7'3 and you're pulling up from three, when it doesn't matter 
And it's just like, he doesn't even think twice, you know, there's no hesitation. The man's just gets the ball and he has that little set shot to him where he doesn't even take his foot off the ground. So that's a point of contention for a lot of our listeners, I'm pretty sure, because I don't see them giving the Celtics three all-stars, never mind taking it away from players like uh, Trey Young or even uh, Mikhail Bridges for the Brooklyn Nets or... Uh, a lot of honorable mentions like DeRozan, for example, maybe even Julius Randle, because now they're fourth in the uh, fourth in the West or sorry, East. And a lot of other uh, fans might say Pascal Siakam, but I'm sorry, I don't think he's worth it for the all star nod of this season. And then um, my last uh, all-star selection for the East would be Paolo Banquero. I think he's a little bit slept on because he's on the magic, but that's responsible for the fifth best defense in the entire league as a non-relevant small market team. They're starting four, six, ten players, and their main ball handler is also a six, ten at Paolo Banquero. But when you look at this team, it's essentially all of their starters spent 6'10 players outside of Jalen Suggs, which is ridiculous in my opinion. Um, that presents um, a lot of uh, hardships for the defense to guard. Kind of reminds me a little bit of the Denver Nuggets scheme when they won the championship. They're just a very long team outside of their two guards in KCP and Murray. Uh, but when you look at the Magic, they have Paolo Banquero, Jonathan Isaac, Wendell Carter, Franz Wagner. Those are all 6'10 players, and they all shoot the ball. They're all very, very fast defensively, laterally speaking, on their feet. So they can uh, present a very tough matchup for whoever they're going up against. And uh, not to take away anything from the... Orlando Magic, they started out really well. They were about the second, third seed in the East. Now they've dropped down back to earth, all the way back to the eighth spot in the East. But with how Paolo's uh, sort of leading that new team up to new heights, I gave him the last spot in the East. And like I said, um, there's a lot of points of contention. Uh, for example, I picked uh, Jimmy Butler over Bam Adebayo, which a lot of... Uh, fans don't really see that as the case because they see Jimmy Butler as more of a postseason player rather than a regular season player. However, when you go look at the stats themselves, Bam's only played five more games than Butler, so you can't use the injury excuse. Um, Bam slightly has a higher player efficiency rating, but he's also taking a lot more shots than Jimmy Butler, and he's shooting 9% from three. So Jimmy Butler shooting 43% from three and 50% from the field for both of them. Uh, they're also Jimmy Butler's averaging more points. He's averaging 21 as two bams 20. If anything, I think Tyler Hero and Butler does both deserve it over Bam. I think the fact that Bam's been voted by the coaches a lot, like more consistently over the past couple of seasons kind of just like overshadows a lot of the other players on his teams the coaches say oh was he an all-star last year and the year before so he's a perennial also we'll just give it to him again and I don't think it should be like that I think they should look at the Miami Heat team more holistically speaking and uh, when it comes down to it and when the pedal is against the metal uh, everyone agrees that Butler is their go-to guy when it comes to that even in the regular season if he's not going to take the shot he's going to set someone up for it Whereas Bam is too turnover prone, 
He's a big that can dribble, which is nice in today's NBA, but I just don't think he has that drive or that dog in him that would make him an all-star to kind of represent the Miami Heat. I think Jimmy Butler is getting a lot older, whereas Bam's only 26. So Bam has a lot more time to prove himself and get a lot more all-star nods. But specifically from how this season is going so far, I think Butler uh, has enough in his play style so far to get the nod over uh, Bam Adebayo. And the last player I'm going to mention briefly before I let you tell me who your uh, East reserves are is Scotty Barnes. Obviously, this is a little bit more from a Raptors fan's perspective. Um, they don't realistically deserve an all-star, just like Atlanta doesn't because they're 12th in the East right now. However, I think Barnes is a legitimate candidate for most improved player this season. His uh, points per game production is plus five from last year he went from 15 to 20 points and he's actually shooting the three a lot more consistently he was always in the low 30s in this first couple of seasons in his rookie season and his sophomore season now in his third year he's actually averaging 36 percent from three on about six attempts a game and for a player's archetype, it's 6'9", he's a ball handler, he's a defensive stopper. You can't really complain when he's shooting 36% from three on a lot of attempts for a player of his size, as well as maintaining his 50% from the field efficiency while being their bona fide closer. So he actually took that role up this year where it used to be, for example, a Siakam or an OG or a Van Vliet before he got traded. Now it's Scotty Barnes demanding the ball, wanting to go to the hoop, and essentially just owning the fact that he is their go-to guy in those close game situations. So I think he's also an honorable mention, which unfortunately won't make it this season. But hopefully he is a legitimate candidate for the most improved player, and then he has a better case for the All-Star game next year when we have our Emmanuel Quickly, RJ Barrett, and Scotty Barnes-led Raptors doing a little bit better in the East record-wise. Yeah, I generally agree with your your list, Vlad. Um, definitely Brunson at the very top of the list. Um, I can't remember if I picked him or Donovan Mitchell in the last spot for my starters, but I honestly, I would have picked. I think I might have had Spida too, but I I, I would have taken either of those two over, yeah. um, over Dame as much as I like Dame time. Um, just I, as you mentioned, Donovan Mitchell has really been the glue of the Cavaliers. You know, they had a really rough start to the season when he was out. Um, and even though Mitchell really struggled to shoot the ball when he got back, I think he was shooting like under 20% from three, like the first five games he came back. Um, they quickly have risen again, despite missing guys like Darius Garland and Evan Mobley for long stretches of the season. Um, Brunson, I, I really like his game and I think he's much more efficient than Dame overall. Um Maxi, I would kind of say the same thing. He's sort of sort of the guy you can get you points behind the arc and really play some hard-nosed ball when the Sixers need it, or maybe Embiid's out or Embiid's not having the game that you would want. Um Jimmy Butler, I would say the same. Like, even though he is known as more of a postseason guy, he's shooting the three ball very well. And I, I when I think of the Miami Heat, I think of it as Jimmy Butler's team. Um, very hard-nosed defender you know he's the guy who can kind of pop off go crazy for you know 50 plus points you know a la the playoffs last year um you have Jalen Brown experience against that hey? <laughs> yeah I I mean well 
the the fifty pointers was against the Bucks. So, but yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, went crazy. Uh, Jalen Brown, of course, as a Celtics fan, I'm obviously gotta give the nod to. Um, the only slight dings I'll give on him is his three balls and free throws could use a little bit of work, but he's been playing incredible defense this season. Um, yeah, really can just have incredible first quarters where he's putting up, you know, like 15 points or something crazy, you know, can't miss everything. I love his mid range pull-ups They're they're the most beautiful things ever. And yeah, I, I generally think that he's a great player. Um, I honestly don't even consider him the second option. I consider him and Tam like one A and one B. You know, I think they the Celtics need both of them to be as successful as they are. Um, Porzingis, I, I would pick Porzingis over the other guys towards the end of this list, in spite of his health issues. Um, just because I do think Porzingis is one of the very best pick and roll defenders in this league, and I do think his ability to post up at the hoop has really helped the Celtics spacing on offense this year. Uh, so you take and, him over like Randall, Siakam, Bam Adebayo? I would, yeah. I think, uh, you know, obviously, again, I am biased as a Celtics fan, but I do like Porzingis's game. Um, and as you mentioned, he's been shooting on par with the Jays from three, which really isn't his forte, but he's been making it work. Um in terms of the other guys, like they're all really good players too. Like Bam, for example, is a very excellent defender. Um, the problem with him is his turnovers, and I feel like he also misses an absurd amount of shots in in the paint. mid ranges. Yeah, um, like those like little mid ranges where he like kind of scoops it up as a little shot. Yeah, they bounce off the back rim a lot. Exactly, and then yeah, you know, thinking about other guys like Boncaro. Yeah, he's been really great this year. The Magic are much improved. Um, and I think he's a very good young player. Um, I do think he makes some very costly turnovers in the final few minutes of games. That, so that might be, you know, a ding on him. Uh, Trey Young, I, you know, even though he is averaging 27 points per game, I think, as you mentioned, he is inefficient. And I, I don't love his defensive play in general. I think... Him being described as a traffic cone may be a little bit harsh, but I, I don't think he plays defense. If he, you know, scored more, played more efficiently on offense, you could maybe overlook being a weaker defender. But considering that the Hawks are in 11th place in our bottom five defensive unit in the league, I think that is a legitimate knock against him. Um, and then Scotty, you know, I know you're a Raptors fan. You really like Scotty. I think he's a great young player. But I think he probably has another year or two of development before he's kind of a bona fide all-star. But that's definitely in his future if he keeps developing the right way. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I think it's a little bit tad too early to go out on a limb and call him that just yet. He needs a little bit more development, like you're saying. And I think next season might be a good start for us to kind of consider him as that. But yeah, it seems like we're pretty aligned on Brunson, Mitchell, Maxi, Butler, Brown, Porzingis, and Paolo. So um, I, I I don't anticipate that Butler is going to get picked. Unfortunately, I think it's going to be Bam from how the media narrative is about him. 
And I also don't think Porzingis is going to make it from what I've been hearing around the NBA analysts and the media. Mm -hmm. So those are my and your personal two dark horses to make it. I think uh, Bam more realistically is going to be able to replace Butler, unfortunately. And I think Julius Randle or Trey Young is going to replace Porzingis, which I don't get for the reasons that we just covered. Obviously, you have to be a winning player unless you're like, like, I don't know, knocking it out of the park. But uh, yeah, I just think that the media's narrative and the fan, the coaches, um, yeah, I think they're going to pick Trey Young over Porzingis and Bam over Butler because of like just his defensive prowess and because they speak out like stars like that, like in post-game interviews, they, they, they kind of like self-depict themselves as all-stars. They say that they deserve it. And I think the coaches kind of like take that into account. The fact that you, you're telling the entire world that you are one and you're playing like one. And it's just like a huge narrative uh, storyline mixed with a lot of other factors. But yeah, at the end of the day, I think Butler and Porzingis deserve it from how they've been playing and their team's success over those two guys but yeah um i think all the other players that we mentioned are no-brainers especially paolo bancaro he's kind of slept on a lot but i think he's getting the recognition he deserves but we'll see if Porzingis and butler make it in but i doubt that they will i think it's going to be replaced by trey young uh julius randall or bam Adebayo for those three unless we have like an injury and then one of them might be able to take the replacement nod over whoever's injured so um yeah moving on to the west uh the first no-brainer obviously regardless of their team's record is stephen curry this man should have been a starter but uh sga was simply a little too finessed and too good for him stats wise so he got the nod over that you have Steph Curry averaging 27 points a game, which is absolutely ridiculous on 40% from three. And we know if Steph takes over 10, 10 point, three-point attempts per game. So you have that taken into account. You also have 45% from the field, which is really efficient when the entire defense is always only focused on you. So um, not much more explanations required for Steph Curry. He's obviously one of the league's best PGs, and he he's going to be that way uh, until he retires. I think he's going to be a perennial all-star. So not much to discuss on that front. Um, another newer all-star would be Anthony Edwards. Now, um, if you guys listen to our episodes a lot, you know I'm really critical of Ants because I think he's a tad bit overhyped than he actually is. I actually don't think he's the best player in his team, regardless of the Western Conference. Like a lot of people dub him as the next face of the NBA, the NBA's best young player, all of this. And that's not to take any way from him. He's a really good player. I just don't think like he's better than Tyrese Halliburton, for example, or Tyrese Maxey for that matter as well. But uh, yeah, I don't even think he's the best player on his whole team. Carl uh, Anthony Towns, in my opinion, is a lot better in terms of efficiency, player efficiency rating, um, just decision making and late game situations outside of his 62 point performance. Um, but yeah, no, uh, Anthony Edwards is going to get it from the coach's standpoint and point of view, although I think Cat should be replaced 
So I'm going to go ahead and say I think Carl Anthony Towns deserved this spot from the Minnesota Timberwolves. But realistically speaking, I know it's going to be Anthony Edwards. And then moving on, I think both Kawhi and Paul George deserve the All-Star nod this year. Kawhi is finally back in action where he's consistently playing and he's reminding us why he was the best player in 2019 in the entire world. He has an abnormal player efficiency rating at 27. He's averaging 24 points a game, 3.7 assists, 6 rebounds on 45% from 3 and 53% from the field. And that's not to mention his defensive side. So not much to be said about Kawhi over there. I think he's a lock. Um, Paul George, I'm not sure he's going to get picked, but he has my pick. I think he's also their secondary go-to guy. There's a lot of games where Kawhi's not playing well, where PG kind of steps up and takes that role, which is why he actually has the highest usage rate on the Clippers. Uh, you'd think it would be James Harden, maybe even Kawhi, but um, PG is actually leading the Clippers by a fair margin. Uh, when you want to compare him to James Harden's usage, he has 7% higher usage than James Harden, which like pretty much always has the ball when the Clippers are playing. So that was a little bit mind-boggling, but he's averaging 23 points, 3.5 assists, 5 rebounds, 42% from 3 on way higher volume than Kawhi, and 47% from the field. And he's obviously uh, one of the league leaders in steals, as he is perennially. So not much to say on that front. Two very... Uh, two-way players that are uh, leading the Clippers to the fourth seed in the West right now. They even might finish in the top three if they keep it going like that. And then um, I don't know why, but I have Anthony Davis. I think it's because of his defense. Uh, his offense has been very clunky as of lately. Uh, he didn't play well in his last couple of games. I think he was like six for 17 in one of his last games and that's like all shots like within 15 feet of the rim so when you're a big man shooting under 50 percent that's just not acceptable but that's not to take away anything from his defensive prowess the man is leading the league in stocks after victor wambanyama which is blocks and steals by a far margin his player efficiency rating is the highest on this list since we started uh talking about every reserve at 33 and uh, he's averaging 25 points per game, 12 rebounds, 3.7 assists, 55% from the field on 61% true shooting. So outside of his last couple of games, which were anomalies, I think he's having a very, fairly steady season. And when it comes to AD, his availability is also, also worth mentioning. He's the second uh, top player in the entire Lakers team in terms of games played after austin reeves so it's usually the opposite so the fact that he's there and available and he's playing out of his mind defensively on top of being there like 1a to 1b just like you said with uh, brown and tatum for him and lebron as scoring options i think he deserves it from more of a defensive standpoint but also being their go-to score especially when lebron's out and on top of all of that, his pure availability, like he's never available. He's put in a lot to his work ethic and his body conditioning to remain the case. So I think he should be awarded, especially because he hasn't been on the list in the past couple of years due to the availability concerns that we've been mentioning. And uh, the last uh, few, I have Booker and Sabonis. 
So Booker actually wasn't on this list for me uh, in the initial because the the Phoenix Suns weren't playing that well. They were, um, I think, the 11th or 12th seed. Booker was missing a lot of time. However, recently he's been going on a rampage. Uh, his last couple of games have been actually crazy. He has a second best team high, uh, 28.5 player efficiency rating. 28.4 points per game, which is actually higher than KD, who was leading the league and scoring at one point earlier this season. He's averaging seven assists a game as a shooting guard, which is there. He's essentially playing their de facto point guard alongside uh, Bradley Beal because their lack of a true PG. So those seven assists definitely stand out. Five rebounds a game on 38% from the field and 50%. Uh, 38% from three, 50% from the field. So, um, yeah, just to mention uh, a couple of his, uh, like, performances as of late, he's had a 44-point game against Orlando, 62-point game against Indy, 46-point game against Dallas, 52-point game, game against New Orleans, and the list keeps on going. So I think he's kind of, like, uh, blossomed into his midseason form, and uh his last few games, although he hasn't been super available in the beginning, he's still at 38 games played, which is far more than Porzingis, which we've both included. So I think he deserves it. And then the last pick that I have is actually sort of a sleeper pick, but uh, a lot of people are going to come out and disagree with me. They're going to think De'Aaron Fox deserves the nod over Sabonis. However, I think Sabonis is, just like we mentioned when it came to... um like Donovan Mitchell with the Cavs. I think he's kind of that like connector when it comes to the uh, Sacramento Kings. I think without him, they're going to see a lot more detriment to their team as opposed to like uh, them having Malik Monk start over De'Aaron Fox, for example, because De'Aaron Fox, he might be the fastest player in the league today, but uh, I simply think that Sabonis has a lot more effect and influence on his team. So you have him averaging 20 points a game, eight rebounds and third, uh, sorry, eight assists as a big man and 13 rebounds a game on 61% from the field and 44% from three, which is actually ridiculous. That kind of reminds me of Jokic. He's only two rebounds shy of averaging a triple double. And he has an insane player efficiency rating at, um, at 32.2 which trumps De'Aaron Fox's at 23.8 so De'Aaron Fox might be your most clutch player he might be your go-to scorer and closer in late game situations however I think the Sacramento Kings as a unit as a team would experience a lot more uh, difficulties if it wasn't for Sabonis kind of uh, being their player coach on the floor, kind of facilitating the plays on defense, being like a Draymond Green telling everyone where to be. Just that unspoken leader when it comes to the team. However, when you want your closer to go to work, obviously that's going to be De'Aaron Fox. However, I think Sabonis just has a lot more capabilities and influence and kind of makes everyone around him a lot better. So for those reasons, I gave him the nod over De'Aaron Fox. And uh, a lot of honorable mentions in the West, obviously. It's always harder in the West than it is in the East. So um, the first honorable mention from a Kyrie Irving fan has to go to him. I just think he's missed a little too many games. He's under 30 games played, so he's only had 27 games. And he hasn't had his best season, according to his standards at least. 
He's only getting 25 points a game, five rebounds, five assists on 41% from three and 47% from the field. Like those do sound elite, but compare him to his 50, 40, 90 season doesn't sound that good after all. So I think he's an honorable mention and he's unfortunately going to be snubbed from this year's all-star game, which makes me sad because I love his play style. And then another big time snub is James Harden because of his reduced role on the Clippers. I know he's averaging about nine assists a game and 17 points on fairly good shooting splits. I think he's about 41% from three and 45% from the field. But there's too many guards that are leading their teams in better situations. Uh, like, for example, Anthony Edwards, Paul George, Devin Booker. So I just don't think that he's going to get that nod unless somebody's injured. And then another dark horse sort of honorable mention might be Alperin and Sangoon. Uh, he's been playing really well. He's kind of their Rockets go-to guy at this point, where a lot of people coming into the season would have thought it was uh, Fred Van Vliet. But Alperin Shangun's uh, leading the Rockets in usage percentage, player efficiency rating. He's averaging 22 points, 9 rebounds, 5 assists on 55% from the field. And he's really finessed with it. You know, like he has those soft touches off the rim. Kind of reminds you of a baby Jokic, just like Sabonis. And then the last player I had was Keegan Murray on the Sacramento Kings. I think he's uh, a dead-eye three-point shooter. He's a rising star. And, uh, yeah, I think that he deserves an honorable mention. But just like uh, Scotty Barnes, I think he's a couple years out from doing it. And I think as well that, uh, unfortunately, De'Aaron Fox might trump him over that spot. No, that makes sense. I mean, for me, I mean, Curry's, uh, like, that's a no-brainer. I mean... And the fact that he still averages 40% despite having like that 0 for 9 from 3 game where he broke that insane like consecutive made threes in the game record uh, just tells you how special he is. Um, I'll still give the nod to Anthony Edwards. I don't love his clutch time stats. He shoots less than 40% from the field and less than 30% from 3. Um, but I do think he's a very hard-nosed player who, um, despite his clutch time decisions, is still one of the better young players in the league. Um, one guy that maybe wasn't mentioned that I might give the nod to is Carl Anthony Towns. Um, similarly, you know, the Timberwolves team as a whole isn't always great in the clutch, but, you know, he's a very big guy, you know, tough defender, um, and has been, you know, obviously had that 62-point game recently as well, so he definitely can score when he wants to. Um, also give it to the Clippers duo of, PG and Kawhi. I think PG has really been stepping up when Kawhi's either not playing or not playing his best. Uh, while Kawhi has had crazy shooting splits and as you mentioned, kind of reminds everyone why he's a two-time NBA Finals MVP. Um I would also give it I would also give it to Booker. I think he's been playing a lot better, especially the last like couple of months. Um you know, also had a 62-point game in, in a loss, which we'll talk about later in this episode. Um, otherwise, that's it. Yeah, I would, I would, I would probably definitely Sabonis. I think, uh, I think he's kind of the, the that first guy who who will go to the floor. You know, will take Draymond's foot to his chest type of guy. Um, uh, 
Rest of them are kind of hard. I'll I'll give the nod to AD. It's between him and Harden. It's you know even though Harden's role is reduced. What about Chet Holmgren? I like okay. He's there in the East. He's uh the second best player on their team according to PER. He was was just sixteen points a game, seven rebounds, thirty-seven from three, fifty-three from the field. I had him on the bubble personally. I think not there yet. He's he's been playing well, but yeah, maybe another year, and I think he'll be in. Um, might run out of time, but. Yeah, I also had Kyrie just on the outside because of his availability. The same reason as Porzingis. Um, then guys like Keegan Mary and Alperin Sangin, I think, you know, both are very much improved players, especially Sangin, I think has had the biggest drop in turnover percentage of any mm-hmm. player so far this year. But similarly, I, I want to see maybe another year of him continue to improve his play and be that guy for the Rockets. So I'm intrigued why you think uh, Edwards deserves the nod over Cat, judging by the fact that Cat has uh, like the same points per game on higher efficiency and a higher PER. Mm. Didn't I, didn't I say I had them both in though? Oh, you had them both. So yeah. you have to take someone out because you have eight people in that case. Did I- so who did I list? Curry, Edwards. You got Curry, Ants, The Claw, PG, AD, Booker, Sabonis, and Cap. Mm, that's tough. Uh, yeah. I would but say either one either one of the Wolves guys or AD, as much as I love AD's defense. It's I think that yeah, they're like ninth in the West. So I don't <laughs> Yeah, and and their their offense has really been a struggle. Um and AD has been not the main reason for it, but he's, you know, played a role. Um, yeah. I will tentatively take AD out, but I, again, with great hesitation, because I think he is one of the very best defenders in this league. Um, I have a very hard time taking out either Edwards or Cat because I think they both can kind of have their moments, but also both at times struggle in the clutch. Um, another good example would be that Charlotte game where despite Cap putting up 62, uh, they lost that game. And in part, it was because Cat kind of tried to force his way to that 70 piece, which did not well, work. Don't forget that Ant was three for 11 that game too. So True. Him and McDaniels, I think, each put up only nine points that game, which just doesn't get the job done so i i it, i have a little bit of a hard time blaming cat for that game but his decisions in the clutch were not good even if he's also i think it was it. like mainly approved that he did get fouled on that last possession when he got like four double teams by the yeah, entire the, the, la- the last two minutes report said that it should have been yeah. called as a foul yeah um, so i don't know i just I'd rat, like if I were you, I would have taken out Ants because he's the least accomplished outside of every single player we've listed. And he's also arguably the least efficient. Like Booker has better shooting splits, Curry has better shooting splits, PG, Kawhi, Sabonis, they all have better shooting splits than Ants. And then Anthony Edwards doesn't even average that many points a game. It's like around the 23, 24 point margin. So he's not getting that many points. He's not efficient in getting that many points. 
and he doesn't even have the highest PR on his own team, which kind of leads off to the next uh, topic we wanted to discuss, which is how the Minnesota Timberwolves were the first in the in the West, and now they're kind of struggling maintaining that because of like the competition with Denver, uh, the Thunder, and you had the marquee matchup with the Timberwolves against the Thunder a few days ago. And and actually came out and said they didn't know how they won because OKC got all the calls. I think uh, Shea Gilgis by himself had more foul free throw attempts than the entire Minnesota Timberwolves team in the fourth quarter. So, I mean, that's not that hard to wrap your head around because SGA leads the league in drives per game. And when you drive that much, odds are you're going to get fouled a lot, especially if you have that much finesse, just like SGA does. Kind of takes me back to the Raptors versus Lakers when the Lakers had like 24 free throw attempts in the fourth quarter. The Raptors only had two. And another game actually that happened a couple of days ago had the exact same problem again with the Lakers, ironically enough. I think it was the Lakers against um, the Warriors. The Warriors only had like um, a couple of free throws in the fourth where the free throw disparity and that double overtime thriller was insane. Uh, the Lakers had 43 free throw attempts and the Warriors only had 16. So 38 of the Lakers' 145 points came from free throws, whereas the Warriors put up 144, which is one point less than the Lakers, and only had 11 compared to 38 points come from the free throw line. So that raises a huge disparity about how the Lakers get a lot of more favorable calls down the stretch. And there's an interesting article that was actually written by an NBA analyst, Senior Insider, where he essentially reviewed all of the superstar players versus regular star players versus non-star players. And to keep it short and sweet, the article concluded that superstars on average, get 20% more favorable fouls on the offensive end. And they also get 20% more favorable defensive calls, uh, whereas no calls on the defensive end. So odds are if you swipe to get the ball and you're a star player and you hit someone's hand, you're not going to get the call. Whereas if you're a regular player, they're going to be uh, called on you as a defensive foul. And the same thing happens on the offensive end. So, for example, do you remember Jason Tatum's, like, foul against LeBron? He's a superstar, so they didn't call it. Whereas if Al Horford did that, it would have probably been a foul. So it's interesting to see how stars in this league get a lot more favorable calls because they want to uphold the scoring standards that they've been beating year by year. We've also discussed on this podcast in general how the NBA nowadays is experiencing a scoring boom compared to only a mere 10, 20 years ago. 10 years ago, the best team in the league is a very mid-pack team this season because of the emphasis on scoring, the shorter shot clocks, the rules favoring offensive players, the increased pace of the game, generally speaking, and all of that. So that's not to digress and be on a tangent for too much. At the end of the day, I still think that Cat uh, is a more polished player than Anthony Edwards. Now, that's to say also that Cat does have like five years on Edwards. So by the time Edwards is 26, 27, I think he'll be better than Carl Anthony Towns. But right now, 
people are giving him a little bit too much credit for his style of play, especially considering his efficiency. Even in games where they beat the OKC Thunder for the free throw disparity that we just got into right now. Yeah, I think that's I think that's a fair point. I as I mentioned, uh, definitely Edwards his downfall is most certainly his decisions in the clutch. Although I'm actually looking at Minnesota's clutch stats right now, and just purely on shooting, which I know there's a lot more to clutch time than that, but Edwards does shoot better than Carl Anthony Towns. Edwards shoots about 39% from the field and 29% from three, which isn't great. But compare that to Carl Anthony Towns is 29.5% from the field and 22% from three. So That's believe horrible. It, oh so my believe God. it or not, even though Edwards has not proven himself to be a great clutch player so far, Carl Anthony Towns has struggled it's just worse. as nice. Um, okay. so, that's, so that's why... So that's why I say, like, yeah, that's why I kept both Edwards and Carl Anthony Towns on the list because I think both of them have a lot of work to do on their decisions in the clutch, sort of in those games where it comes down to a few plays, like the OKC game, you know, where you're battling for the one seed in the West, playing, you know, or two of the top five defenses in the league playing each other. Um, And you have you know, stars like Anthony Edwards playing against SGA, who has been on an absolute heater this season. And I think the reason why he got the all-star nod over other guys on the list, such as Stephen Curry, who is obviously a generational talent, is because of how great he's been playing. And I do think the NBA, probably especially like players and fans, have really, you know, favored, you know, high high volume scorers, you know, younger talent. So I also think that's why Anthony Edwards will get the selection along with him being on my personal list. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's an interesting debate though. And I, I appreciate the pushback um, because I do think Anthony Edwards still has a lot of growing to do. And, you know, you, as you mentioned in that game where they lost to Charlotte, it was ultimately Edwards who was the problem and not Carl Anthony Towns. Cause Edwards went three for 11 from the field, only scored nine points, whereas Carl Anthony Towns put up 62 points. I mean, you can't really do much more than that. Yeah, and on good shooting splits, too. And there's this game, uh, recent game against the Nets, too, where he, Anthony Edwards, literally missed seven straight buckets in clutch time and ended the game eight for 23. So he had to put up 23 shots to put to get 24 points. Whereas Cat, for example, had 27 points on only 15 shots. He went 12 for 15. So he took arguably like about half the shots that Anthony Edwards did, and he got three more points than him. So like that just gets you thinking about like shot selection and like in the clutch when you have that tunnel vision, that's not really like the healthiest thing to have. I think Tatum was criticized a couple of seasons ago when he was going for the 30-point-per-game record for the Boston Celtics franchise. He wasn't passing as much Marcus Smart, even when it's hard to call him out in the media. And he said, like, oh, like, those guys don't pass and stuff like that, which kind of started, like, an internal team argument. But uh, I think that was good for someone like Tatum because now he's comfortably averaging five assists a game, and if not more, and he's actually looking to pass when he's getting double team when he's driving, he's making the extra pass. 
which is something Anthony Edwards needs to develop. No, I completely agree. And I I actually think that discussion internally happened during the 2021-22 season when the Celtics were below 500. And it most certainly was a productive discussion because of how the season ultimately progressed for the Celtics, even though it did end in a six-game loss in the finals. You know, that was about as good of a turnaround as any NBA sure. team could have. And you certainly could see the way, you know, the guys pass the ball way more. Um, and that offense went from being a middle of the pack team to finishing the year in the top 10 with an offense with their offensive rating. And obviously to go with the number one defense in the league. Um, and I think in some ways that kind of is parallel with the Timberwolves where they have the best defense in the league, but their offense really struggles because it can get very stagnant at times. You have guys like Anthony Edwards who wants to play hero ball, hero exactly. ball, which, exactly. which I, which I think in that regard, you know, I, I would ding him. And I understand your arguments that Carl Anthony Towns as a more seasoned vet might be a better decision maker than Edwards. Um, it comes with time, though, so you can't really blame him. I just think I he's think. a tad bit overhyped when it comes to, like, young players in today's NBA. Like, people dub him as the next best young player, where there's, like, both Tyrese's have entered the chat. You have Chet Holmgren mm -hmm. entering the chat. You have Victor Wambanyama entering the chat. I just think there's a lot more to it than just Anthony Edwards, which is a lot of people's mindset nowadays because of how he's advertised. And that player used to be John Morant, for example, but then he shot himself in the foot, literally speaking. <laughs> so there's that, you know, and kind of like he handed the the kind of like, uh, what do you call it when you hand something? Handed the, like the hand throne. It off? The, hand the throne, the, the baton. Like pass the torch? Yeah, he passed the torch. I think uh, John Morant like kind of indirectly did that to Anthony Edwards when he kind of like went all up in his antics. But I digress. Um, Anthony Edwards is a good player, regardless. I just think he gets a little bit too much media attention compared to like Darius Halliburton, for example. I think. Yeah, that's um, a I kind of want to talk about. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. I'll let you go. I had an interesting little segue. I know we want to talk about the trade targets, but we also talked about both high scoring performances as well as shooting efficiency. I wanted to talk about a high scoring performance that was also extremely efficient last week. Luka Doncic put up a 70 burger against Atlanta, as you alluded to at the beginning of this episode, you know, Embiid put up a 70 burger the prior week and Luka Doncic said, hold my beer. Hold my beer. <laughs> so he went off on a tear against the Atlanta Hawks, scoring 73 points on insane shooting splits, 76% from the field, 62% from three, and 94% free throw, which was just him missing one free throw in the final two minutes of the game when it was pretty much already decided. But mm -hmm. he scored those 73 points on just 33 field goal attempts. Which is insane. So insane performance. He... I think almost put no he did put up a triple double in this game and no 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 he only had seven assists he only had seven assists i'm thinking of when he played the celtics yeah like the week before but he should have still... though he should have did you see the game the amount of blown layups by uh green by hardaway by 
even like their center at the time, like uh, Lively, mm-hmm. um, they missed like at least five go-ahead layups in crunch time. And it was like they were literally under the rim and they just missed. Like it happens, but Luca should have gotten a 73-point triple-double, which is absolutely ballistic. And like absurd. he's literally the next LeBron James. Like he's the best generational talent that's in his 20s right now. And he's not even 25. He's literally 24. So like when young players are dubbed in the league, it's usually under 25. So people like putting Anthony Edwards as that best young player title when Luca's still 24 is absolutely mind-boggling to me. Exactly. Luca's still a very young player. And I mean, he was literally carrying that team on his back because I think Josh Green finally passed the 20-point mark with like three minutes to go. But until then, no one else on the Mavericks had more than 20 points. And of course, Luca was just in his own world. Like, I don't think he, I would almost describe it as he wasn't playing the same game that everybody else on that court was, neither the Mavericks Chess nor the Hawks. while they're playing checkers. <laughs> I think Luca was playing like 3D or 4D chess, <laughs> not even just chess versus checkers. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, no, you're right. You're right. He was in his own world, he was locked in to say the least. And I think he would have surpassed Kobe's 81 if uh, Atlanta didn't literally decide to, like, double-team him every single time he got the ball. He had no breathing room. Every time they ran a play for him, DeJounte Murray would just stuck to him like glue. And if DeJounte lost him, another Atlanta defender just showed up. Like, they weren't giving him room to breathe. They were suffocating him. And he still surpassed the 70-point mark in the fourth. I think he had like uh 12 points in the fourth or something like that he started the fourth with 60 like four or something like that and he ended the game with 73 and he got to 70 and 73 on two and ones while being suffocated on defense so that's that's just to show you like he's on a different wavelength when it comes to basketball and he has like what a 2k rating of like a 68 speed like man's is slow he's not fast he's not like taking you off the dribble like crossing you over from right to left and then like driving through you he's very methodical with his approach he waits and he's not looking at his defender he's looking at the entire floor and he's a very mature decision maker when it comes to his passes. You think he's going to go up with it and then he fakes it and then he makes like a Jokic pass behind his back, which is just absolutely insane to witness as a fan. Exactly. And Luca is one of the absolute best, if not the best scorer in the league right now. No offense to, to KD. <laughs> no, um, you mean Embiid. But- I mean, I know Embiid free is, throw merchant. <laughs> like it. I know Embiid. I know Embiid is the leading scorer, and you know, in terms of points per game, but in terms of just kind of the way it happens, I feel like Luca. You know, he can drive to the rim. He can make threes. You know, he doesn't take nearly as many free throws as Embiid does. So that's why I say he might be the the best scorer, if not like the most entertaining scorer in the league right now. Um, and definitely one of the best young players. I still consider 24 relatively young. Yeah. But... I think Edwards is like 22 as well. So it's only like yeah. a couple of years of an age difference. Exactly. Um, but Luca wasn't the only one putting up some crazy numbers. Um, albeit he at least got a win out of it. Devin Booker also put up 62 points. 
Um, unfortunately, they lost to the Indiana Pacers, who have been a pretty strong team this year and are obviously the number one offense in the league. Um, but Booker tried really hard to keep that seven-game win streak, what could have been an eight-game win streak after that game alive. But unfortunately, Phoenix came up short. But it is very crazy because you were mentioning you know, just 10 or 15 minutes ago about how this is a very you know, scoring and offensive driven league right now, mm-hmm. you know, and the, and the, the way basketball's played generally favors offenses. And it's just crazy that, you know, like with Booker, like with Carl Anthony Towns, that scoring 60 points per game doesn't even necessarily guarantee that your team will win. Um, Which would have been a when, foreign concept like 10, 15 years ago, right? Yeah. I mean, I was looking recently, like when the uh, 08 Celtics won, like one at all like their defensive rating was absurd it was hold on i'm gonna check it because the timberwolves have a defensive rating of like 108 right now if i go i gotta take too long with this celtics had a defensive rating of 98.1 and you could find even crazier examples but that just goes to show you how much of it how much more of an offensive driven league it is. Mm-hmm. And in 2008, a 108 defensive rating would have put you, it would have put you at 20 seconds. Yeah. It would have put you at 20 second out <laughs> of 30 third. teams. Yeah. Bottom third in the league. So that just shows you how even in 15 years, how much the game has shifted. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And then you kind of can, uh, uh, lead the Celtics having the most efficient game or one of the second most efficient games in NBA history against their win in Miami. Yeah, I mean, that was a crazy game. They I mean, finished with shooting splits of 66% from the field, 55% from three, and 95% from the charity stripe, which aren't eye-popping in of themselves. And even the 143 points, it, it it is pretty good. It's but pretty it's, good. That's like 60-40-90 club easy. 60-50-90 I mean, club, actually. I mean, it is really good, but it's the fact that they shot 80, that they had a true shooting percentage of 80.5% in this game, carved up Miami's defense. Another thing I actually read yesterday was this was also the most efficient play-by-play game that the Miami Heat defense has given up since they started like tracking the stat like oh, the wow. NBA did 28 seasons ago. So in the 95-96 season. Yeah, Celtics um, came to play, it's say the least. Eh? It, they did. It's a very make-or-miss league, though, because then you look you know, at the following game the Celtics game. played, and they could just – they just not completely could not exit – couldn't buy a bucket against the Clippers. Um, so, it's, again, it's, it's really a make-or-miss league, and – I remember Coach Popovich saying many years ago that, you know, great teams or championship teams have about eight to 10 games a season where they can't miss and about eight to 10 games a season where they can't do anything right. They can't score. They can't, you know, get stops on defense. Um, Celtics, you know, perfectly summed up the former or perfectly demonstrated the former against the heat and perfectly demonstrated the latter against the clippers yeah so it just really again goes to show you how much of an offensive driven league it is these days mm-hmm. 
funny you should say Doc Rivers because that kind of feeds off to the next point I wanted to talk about, which is just kind of continuing off of our last season's or last episode's discussion on why the hell did Milwaukee sign him? Because let's take the New York Knicks, for example, and actually um, uh, competent front office. Uh, their defense is 19th in the league before the trade. So what do they do? They go and they target one of the best defenders in the NBA, OG Ananobi, a very proven defender, a reputable champion, a very uh, positive addition to your locker room, uh, locker room group dynamic, just a general perfect two-way player that addresses your team's needs. And Tom Thibodeau is also a very defensive-minded coach. So what did that do to the Knicks? It took them from 19 to number two which is absolutely absurd. The fact that you can plug and play one player out of a group of 15 people on your roster and five people on the court and just changing one player takes you from 19, which is almost bottom third, to second in the entire league is absolutely insane. And then you have the unleashedness of Jalen Brunson just kind of owning New York at this point and making them relevant once again. And the best part is when they traded for him or when he signed with them from free agency, they didn't expect him to blow up that bad. They expected him to be a good player. They expected him to average 17, 20, maybe. Now he's averaging like 24 points and like taking the most uh, shot attempts on the entire team and is the definition of a superstar, not even an all-star. He's such a smart player, and he just finds creases in the defense and scores at will almost. And he deserves a lot more credit. But that's besides the point. What I'm trying to say here is that the Milwaukee Bucks super competent front office decided not to um, go against like Emmacal Bridges, for example. They decided to hire the biggest playoff uh, choke, I mean, sorry, coach. <laughs> in the history of the entire sport. This man is milking the 08 Celtics League Championship more than you do. And you milk it like every <laughs> single day. More, He milks it more than an average Boston fan, which is saying a lot because you guys are holding on to that like a pot of leprechaun gold, for God's sake. And he has leveraged that to give him... You realize that the Milwaukee Bucks are paying three head coaches right now. Yeah, they're playing absolutely. They're paying Adrian Griffin and they're paying Doc Rivers. What are you doing? The fact that Tom Thibodeau, which is the Knicks' current head coach, which, like I mentioned, the front office took that team from 19 to 2 by making an appropriate trade. Tom Thibodeau was on the Celtics uh, coaching staff when you guys Mm -hmm. won in 08. That proves how shitty. The signing is for the Milwaukee Bucks because this coaching change won't do anything. If anything, they have lost more games in their last four than they have in their last 20 against uh, under Adrian Griffin with the new head coaching change. And like, obviously, I'm not going to be fast to judge because a lot of this kind of stuff needs time to kind of like gel and like understand the players. But at the end of the day, the only thing that's kind of making sense in my head is that they wanted a championship caliber coach, which is arguably not supposed to be Doc Rivers, but he does have a championship, so you can't take that away from him. 
But at the same time, I think the more of the reason behind why they wanted to sign him was because he kind of knows how to manage egos and he's not really trying to go in to like change every single scheme that Milwaukee Bucks have been doing for a few years now under their starters. So like you can think of like the Milwaukee Bucks across the last five years as what Brooke Lopez, Giannis and uh, and uh, Chris Middleton, right? Those have been like the three essential puzzle pieces. You can count Bobby Portis if you want. But those are the four or three players who have essentially been the Milwaukee Bucks in the last like three to four or five years. And they've been used to playing defense a certain way, which is drop coverage. Brooke is an excellent shot blocker. So they're going to give teams more shots or threes rather than make them get easy buckets at the stripe, right? So, and they're also a good non-fouling team. Adrian Griffin came in and he tried to implement the Raptors style defense that he was under when Nick Nurse was the head coach for the Raptors. And that kind of confused everyone a little bit too much. Just like we discussed last time, um, he kind of kind of overtook his powers as the head coach by like raising his voice at Terry's thoughts. And that was the beginning dominoes, uh, which kind of started this entire process when Terry Stotts, which is an extremely reputable coach and well-respected coach across the entire league, stepped down. And then he took Giannis out of games. Giannis didn't want to be taken out of. He was trying to change a little bit too much too fast. And I think Doc Rivers is going to do the opposite. He's going to be like, you guys are champions. You guys know how to play. I'm just here to manage minutes, manage egos, if you guys need me to manage that. But I'll kind of also know when to step back and like step the fuck out when you guys need me to. So I'll know when to kind of keep myself guarded and not kind of like force you guys into a new way of play style. I'll just kind of be there to manage the background noise and I'll know when to steer away when need be. And I feel like that's the only piece that makes a sense of logic as to why they went after him because he's going to kind of let them play the way they wanted to in the first place rather than kind of imposing all these new schemes like Adrian Griffin did you kind of can compare it to when the Nets under KD hired uh, Steve Nash he wasn't really a coach he was just someone who stood at the sidelines yelling at the refs Uh, Kyrie and KD got whatever they wanted whenever they wanted And I feel like that's kind of the closest analogy I can pinpoint it to at least giving myself some sort of reasoning as to why the Bucks would go after Doc Rivers. I agree. I mean, I mentioned on the last episode, I, I, it kind of confounds me that they even fired Mike Budenholzer in the first place, despite the disappointing playoff exit last year. It's kind of ironic that everyone talks about how the Knicks have been, you know, perennial chokers or, you know, have had a front office plaguing their ability to, you know, get to the next level. Whereas the Bucks, you know, fresh off a championship, have a genius, you know, front office system, whatever. But now it's looking like quite the opposite. As you mentioned, the Knicks have jumped from 19th to second in defensive ring and the last 15 games, the Knicks have actually had both the top defensive ring and top net, net rating, oh. along with the fifth best uh, offensive ring which makes sense because OG Anobi is he's fast he's a previous season or two seasons ago steals leader um, so he can really get kind of that fast break offense going really increase the pace um, which is something I think the Knicks need you know makes the offense more dynamic and 
you know, good defense, I do think leads to good offense. Um, you know, as for the Bucks, I think they made some questionable decisions getting rid of Mike Budenholzer and not hiring Nick Nurse. And now they're kind of left picking up the pieces. Um, Under a new coach with the hardest schedule remaining in the entire league. Good luck. Ex- exactly. Them and them and Philly, you know, have the two hardest schedules left because they've had obviously the two easiest schedules so far. Um, and of course, the fact that the Bucks are behind four games behind Boston and they have the hardest remaining schedule, that's not a great sign for them. You know, they'll probably still be a top three seed in the East, but you know, that that's, that's really rough for them. And, you know, I, I will just point out one thing in the same way that Bucks fans can milk that championship from two mm-hmm. years ago until we win another, I'm, I'm milking that championship <laughs> like a cow. Um, like leprechaun gold um but yeah i think overall for the bucks it just it it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense and yeah we'll we'll see what translates to but ultimately it's not gonna be this if it keeps them at like a number three or number four offense and a bottom 10 you know bottom third defense like you're, you're not getting far in the playoffs with that they need to go after a defensive guard. Which also, one guy, I don't even one know guy you didn't mention in the list who's been a staple of the Milwaukee Bucks, obviously he's not there anymore, but Drew Holiday. I mean, yeah, their course. perimeter defense completely fell off the map once he left. Yeah. I mean, warranted. He's one of the best, if not the best defender in the league. Um, a few quick points that are worth mentioning is that LeBron at age 39 continues to defy Oz on a daily basis. This man had a career-high 20 rebounds <laughs> two games ago and is continuing to average 25 points a game at age 39, which is unprecedented. He's the oldest player to get 20 rebounds. He's the oldest player to average 25. He's the oldest player to do everything. He's the oldest player to breathe air in an arena, okay? So the fact that he was against the Hawks today in their arena, the first time he played in that arena, Trae Young was five years old, okay? Let that sink in. Yeah, that's how long he's been around, and he just uh-huh. got a career high in rebounds. So that's not that's not a big deal, right? It's just LeBron James doing LeBron James things. Just a king and being then, a king. And then some uh, fact that you would like personally is that Embiid, Embiid has been ducking uh, Jokic since 2018. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <In Denver. laughs> it, it's pretty fun. It's funny on one hand. <laughs> on the other hand, there are pretty serious implications to that because if he misses six more games, like let's say he has like a legitimate five injury, it, it's five now. He yeah, if he misses five more games, he won't even be eligible for MVP, which I mean, that would suck. I have stated my reasons for why I would maybe prefer him be not be MVP, but also when I don't you're think he the scoring be. leader three seasons in a row, you know. There's I, not really it, a chance that he's going to play like he's gonna miss five more games outside of like 35 plus remaining it's just not gonna happen i remember i remember like two or three seasons ago you know the clippers were heavily criticized for you know load managing Kawhi. Mm -hmm. um don't really see quite as much well i do see some criticism of the sixers more or less doing that with Embiid. except the difference is he's not just doing it for like random games or back to back it's yeah they're doing it against good opponents and it's weird because the Sixers beat the Nuggets just a few game, like a few days before that. At home, yeah. So it was a little, a little strange. But anyways, 
you know, we'll see yeah. how that progresses. We'll see. Um, I think the nod's gonna go to Luca. A lot of media outlets are saying right now SGA deserves MVP, but honestly, I think Luca's outplaying SGA in like every facet of the game outside of like probably no he even has more assists more rebounds he's shooting the ball better he's better from the field i think sga just has like a three percent higher field goal percentage but once you take in like five more points per game i think if his team slides up to that like sixth fifth seed luca can get it but sga's like main argument right now is his team success and I wouldn't be mad seeing it to go towards a Canadian, but at the same mm-hmm. time, like I just think Luca is more deserving of an of a, a season league MVP compared to SGA, specifically with that seventy three point outing he had a few nights ago. Oh heck yeah, bod Canada! Yeah. <laughs> All joking aside, as much as I've loved SGA's game this year, I think he's one of the best young players in the league. As I mentioned, I I. I, I stated that Luca's kind of playing his own. He's playing 40 chess right now. It's hard, yeah. It's hard, it's hard to it's hard to other than his defense, which hasn't been quite as much of an issue as past seasons, it's hard to Yeah, no, SGA is better. Yeah, yeah. SGA is a better I think he's top five but, in steals right now in the league. So yeah. But you know, when you're putting up 73 points on just 33 <laughs> field goal attempts. The steals kind of take a side. Yeah, exactly. It's, you know, the, the, yeah. the stats speak for themselves. For sure. Um, we don't have too much time left, but uh, I guess in the last couple of minutes we have, we can briefly touch on the trade targets be ahead of the February 8th trade deadline. I doubt that we're going to get another episode out before then, so we can kind of quickly gloss over which team needs what. Uh, some of the obvious trade targets are obviously Kyle Lowry. I don't see him staying with the Hornets. Uh, Malcolm Brogdon, I don't see him staying with Portland. Bruce Brown, as much as I'd love to have him on the Raptors, he ain't staying there. DeJounte Murray has made it clear that he wants out of Atlanta. DeRozan he's also has been a trade target for like a couple of years now. I'm surprised he's yeah. I think the front office just finally decided to give up on the Trey Young and DeJounte Murray bad court because they're like 11th in the East right now, which is absolutely ridiculous. Um, DeRozan, he also has a couple of good years left in him, and he's also relatively a team-friendly contract. I don't think he's going to take over 30 mil because he's kind of getting up there in age and he's not the best form three. And then Gordon Hayward is actually a nice dark horse of a trade target that I think a contender could use. And then you have uh, Grant in Portland as well. I think he's the perfect power forward for a contender. He shoots really good from three. His field goal percentage is pristine. The man knows how to score. And finally, Jordan Clarkson on the Utah Jazz. I think he's a go-ahead bucket getter. He's a very good dribbler. Kind of reminds me of a little bit of Karis LeVert on the uh, Cleveland Cavaliers. Very flashy type player. Not the best efficiency-wise, but a very good spark plug off the bench or microwave, so to speak. So I think uh, contenders could use all of these players. Um, Specifically, I think the Lakers should go after Grant because he addresses their uh defensive pitfalls he addresses their shooting he also addresses uh their perimeter defense even though he is a four or a three he is a very good perimeter defender i think dejounte murray would cost them too much and not get that much out of it because he's not been super consistent from three whereas grant has been 
And he, another good trade target that we discussed for the Lakers last time would be Mikhail Bridges, Bruce Brown, just any good defensive three and D player. No, I agree. And I, I'm glad you picked DeRozan over Zach Levine because his contract's a lot friendlier and yeah. his has no one's gonna health. take on Zach Levine's contract this season. No, that's the thing. Although, like it does seem like the Bulls as a whole are are very much sellers at the trade deadline. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, so um, I, I'd like to see Brogdon also end up on a contender. I think he's a Me really too. good player that can contribute to a championship-style team. I think, like, for example, Philly could use Brogdon's services really well alongside Maxi. Um, I think another good trade for uh, Bruce Brown would be to go back on the Nuggets. I mean, you never know. They kind of are needing a lot more bench production because they're super reliant on their starters. And yeah, I just think that those contenders can kind of like fill up those loose holes with these trade targets moving forward to kind of like take themselves above that pretender and make themselves a legitimate bonfire.